Welcome to the Court Cards, everyone. We are going to give you kind of an overview of the structure of the Court Cards system. And after that, we will go into the King or Knight of Wands. Uh, Mel and I are pretty tired today. It's daylight savings, but uh, we're going to do the best we can for you here. I think courts are probably the hardest cards for people to read, you know, even as they get more experienced with tarot. The majors kind of come first and then the minors and then, and then you have the courts and, you know, even years into reading, people are like, I don't know what those mean. Hopefully they, we can help a little. Hopefully with that. we can help a little, <laughs> whether you read them as yourself or people around you or situations. Maybe we can help you find some ways in. So I, I yeah. really like something I read. I think it's Liber Theta, and it said the the majors are words, the minors are sentences, and the courts are whole paragraphs. Wow, that's really fascinating. Huh, I never thought about it that way. The majors are words, the minors are sentences, and the courts are whole paragraphs. Hmm. And and you kind of see why if you think of the minors evolving from the majors how every minor is a combination of two majors. And then you have the court cards. That's a combination of three minors and all their associated majors. Mm -hmm. you, you get a whole paragraph of things to work with. The minors derived from the majors and the courts derived from the minors. There's a little bit of everything mixed in there, which kind of makes sense. Hmm. Okay. So, so we have a basic nomenclature difference between Thoth and Rider-Waite-Smith decks. In Rider-Waite-Smith, you have the king, the queen, the knight, and the page. And in Thoth, you have the knight, the queen, the prince, and the princess. And Mel's deck, Tabula Mundi, follows the Thoth tradition. I mean, one of the things that I like better about the Thoth system and your system is that, you know, it's clearly divided equally between masculine and feminine, you know. Yeah. Even though we all know that all courts can be all genders, all people, it's kind of nice to sort of start from that basis. Yeah, I, I like that about it. And I also, to me, it's a lot clearer to describe the active Yod force as a knight rather than as a seated king. Right. So it follows the order of the divine name, the yod hey vow hey order, um, where it's less obvious in Rider Waite what's going on with that. So there is that basic difference we have between tarot and regular playing cards in that in a regular playing card deck, we have only three court cards, jack, queen, and king. And in a tarot deck, we have the four court cards. So, which is why a playing card deck is essentially like a pack of minors minus four court cards. The one that was dropped was the knight or prince. So the jack is actually related to the page or princess. Why they dropped it, I don't know. So if anyone has any ideas about that, feel free to write in. And one thing that I'd like to bring in as we're talking about the courts, we can kind of talk about the relationship between, say, the Queen of Cups and the Queen of Hearts and some of the nicknames that have come up and things like that. But we should focus on our tarot system. And very briefly, we don't want to get too much into it, but we should talk about the fact that there is controversy over which of the male courts go with which. There's controversy over whether the King of Wands, for example, is actually the Thoth Knight of Wands or the Thoth Prince of Wands because of this whole division between seated and horsed figures. So there's good arguments either way. And as with anything in tarot, you can choose your own argument and stick with that justification. But we are going to go with the one that is probably held by most people, which is that uh, a knight in Thoth is the same as a king in Rider-Waite-Smith. We should talk about elements. That's probably the simplest way into the esoterics. We've and, been And astrology. There's and astrology. Elements and astrology are kind of inherent in the court system. That's right. And we go in the same order as we do for everything else, fire, water, air, earth. So that is reflected in the uh, in the order of the courts as well. So we're doing king or knight as the fiery part of their element, queen as the watery part of their element, knight or prince as the airy part of their element, princess or page as the earthy part of their element. And what do we mean exactly by that when we say 
you know, it's the part of that element. Because we don't mean that it's like, like a combination of the two exactly. Right. When I think of the fiery part of an element, I think of the active part, the mm-hmm. force part, the energetic part of the element. And then with the watery part, you have the more reflective or passive or receptive, s- steady part of the element, where then you have the airy part of the element, which corresponds more to the combination of the fire and water. You get the airy part, which is the, it's both active and enduring. It, it combines the activity of the father with the receptivity of the mother to get something that is uh, the the issue of the two and the best of both, I mm-hmm. guess. And then the earthy part of the element is like the, the crystallization or manifestation of the element in its full, you know, flowering. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, and it's why we go in that order when we're talking about them on this podcast. We're always going to go from the king or knight to the princess or page. And one of the things that I hope listeners will come away from this podcast uh, with is the power of the princesses and the pages. Because, you know, if you come from a Rider-Waite-Smith tradition, you might not get that sense of the pages being the ultimate destination right. uh, of the suit. Right. In a way, they're the most powerful, even though it's deceptive in that system to think of them as kind of a servile. Right. And because, you know, in the playing card system, originally, they really were just an underling. So, yeah. uh, so there's, there's definitely been a, um, reversal of roles or, or a cyclical process that takes place in the courts. The courts are really interesting because it's all based on fourfold division. Mm-hmm. So it's like, there's so many ways of dividing into four. So you have the fire, water, air, earth. You have the four worlds. You have the yod, hey, vow, hey, order of the divine name. Father, mother, son, daughter. And another way of uh, saying all that would be to say will, love, reason, and action. The four, yeah, the four powers, powers of, of the Sphinx. Sphinx. Yep. Mm-hmm. To will, to love, to know, and to keep silent, thereby right. to take action. <laughs> so I guess we can talk a little bit about that since, you know, there, there are fourfold divisions but there are 16 cards, and now we have to figure out how those 16 cards are going to be distributed across the Zodiac, uh, which we normally think of as a 12-fold system. We do have a way of doing that, <laughs> as a matter of fact. And we do that by by setting the pages or princesses apart in the Golden Dawn's astrological system. The princesses and pages are um, treated as special and as each governing a quarter of the wheel in the same way that the aces are each said to govern a quarter of the wheel. And that's one of the reasons why the symbol of Malkuth is the circle divided four ways. Mm-hmm. And the prin- mm-hmm. the princesses are associated right. with Malkuth. So that leaves us with 12 chord cards and 12 signs. Uh, one for each sign, but not exactly so yeah. this is where it gets tricky. And at this point, we should definitely <clears throat> direct you to have a look at our favorite round Deccan's diagram. Uh, so you can see not only how uh, the courts line up with their signs, but also the way they line up with the minor arcana. We've talked a lot about the way the Deccans work, 36 Deccans for 12 signs. Therefore, you, as you would expect, each of these court cards is responsible for three decans. However, <laughs> they are not all three of the decans for each sign. There is a staggering or shifting over. Yeah, so so each court card has three decans. It has the first two decans of the sign of its element, and it picks up the last decan of the preceding sign as what's often called its shadow. Exactly. So, for example, if you're in Aries, we have a court card that picks up the last decan of Pisces and the first two decans of Aries, and that would be... The Queen of Wands. Exactly. And we will do that for everyone. And it's a little confusing, but I'm going to try to explain it. The signs of the Zodiac, say, let's to give an example, the Queen of Wands. The Queen of Wands, her primary sign is Aries, a cardinal sign. 
all the queens are cardinal signs in their two main decans, and then they pick up the preceding decan of a mutable sign. Right. But the queens are fixed in nature. So that's what's really interesting about this system. So you have cardinal, mutable, and fixed. The, How, the, can you talk a little bit about, yes, more about um, why they're fixed in nature? Yes. yes. So if you think about the three gunas or the three tendencies, the three characteristics, the knights are sulfuric or active, which corresponds to cardinal energy. Mm-hmm. Knights meaning uh, knights, same as kings. knights and kings. Knights and yeah. kings, yes, yeah. depending on which deck. Mm-hmm. So the queens are more fixed in nature. They're salty or uh, tamasic mm-hmm. in nature. They're more placid and stable, where the princes or... Rider Waite Smith knights. Yes, exactly. <laughs> the princes are more mercurial as airy uh, figures. They're more mercurial in nature and corresponding to sattva the, um, of the three characteristics. So each one is of that character, yet it picks up decans of the two other. So the queens who are fixed in nature, mm-hmm. two cardinal decans and one mutable decan. So they have... Cardinal and mutable decans, mm-hmm. but they're fixed in nature. The knights or kings who are fiery oh, and who? cardinal in nature yes. pick up mutable and fixed right. decans. Right. The, the princes are mutable in nature, yet they pick up fixed and cardinal decans. So thus in that way, every court card has some aspect of their personality that's cardinal, fixed, and mutable. Mm-hmm all combined into one. In that way, it makes them as complex as real people. That makes sense. And it also sort of explains a little bit why we have to shift them over so that they're not just all in one sign, because we need to be able to pick up a little bit of that energy of the preceding sign to get a complete Yeah, I kind of think of like when you're sewing, picking up picking up a stitch, do they call it, or, or backtracking <laughs> when you're doing Back, it? Back, uh, Backstitching. That backstitching. Yeah. I kind of think of that's the way the, it keeps the zodiac held together in a band. It ties it together. That backstitch that picks up one of the preceding and, you know, two of, two of the main (laughs) decans and one preceding and thus it's a belt all tied around. Yes. Yes. That makes sense. That's right. And just if you think of two links of a chain, there's a space in the middle where they overlap. Nice. We should also mention that there is a system in the Tree of Life in which we can uh, say that the courts are placed on 2, 3, 6, and 10. So by that we mean the second Sephira Chokma corresponds to the Niter King. The third Sephira Bina corresponds to the Queen. The sixth Sephira Tiferet corresponds to the Prince or Knight. And the tenth Sephira Malkut corresponds to the Page or Princess. So, and again, that's a way of, yet another way of uh, representing the divine name or the four elements, et cetera. Right. Mm-hmm. And just like you can think of it as father, mother, son, daughter, the father, Hakma, the mother, Bina, the son, Tiferet, and the daughter, Malkut. Right. We've talked about this a little bit in previous episodes, but it's worth just mentioning that Particularly, uh, if you use a thought deck, there is sort of an implied family romance going on where the younger generation evolves into the older generation, goes up the tree. And for much, much more on that, probably the best explanation I know of is in Lon Milo Duquette's yeah. uh, book. Yep. Understanding the Thoth Tarot, is that what it's called? Yes. Something like that. All right. So <clears throat> I think that's a pretty good overview of how the courts work. And you should definitely have a look at the visual because that will help make all of this yeah. clearer. I kind of think of the courts as, well, they're people. What they, what they really are to me are they're, they're elemental. They're the primal forces of nature and the modes through which they're expressed. Yeah. And interestingly, because they're so complex, you know, in practical application, I've noticed that there's a lot of overlap between the courts of a particular suit. So, I mean, if you even read the interpretations that Wade and Crowley came up with for, say, the family of the courts of wands, there's a lot of overlap in their qualities. There's a pride and a 
Yeah, all the fire, all the fire courts, yeah. all the fire signs are are can be prideful. They're all leaders. They're all creative. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of similarities. There's a lot of similarities, and I also find that you know astrologically, even though we have very specific correspondences astrologically in practice, I found that you know a Queen of Wands will show up as an Aries, Leo, or Sagittarius all the time. You can't be too matchy match about it, unfortunately. <laughs> okay. So, um, you think we're ready to start in on the King or Knight of Wands? Sure. Okay. Let's rush right in. Let's. As <laughs> he does. Yes, the Lord of the Flame and the Lightning, the King of the Spirits of Fire, the King of the Salamanders. We should probably mention that salamanders are the elemental creature that's always associated with fire it's a uh, not not the salamander that you see in the woods but related it's the mythical creature that could enter the fire and not be burned because fire was its element uh, in fact interestingly enough i don't know if pete has these in his um kitchen at work but we there's a kitchen tool called the salamander do you know that no oh it's cool it's like a it's like a broiler on steroids if you just want to like blast the bejesus out of something real nice. quick, you put it under the salamander. <laughs> it's like the flash bake. Yes. So, uh, fire of fire, right? Fire of fire, king of kings, <laughs> the leader of leaders. And we will have that in each suit. There's going to be one that sort of doubles, uh, the quality. We have fire, fire, yeah. water, water. That's an interesting point because Mm -hmm. I kind of think of those ones that are doubles as being like the quintessential expression of their element. So that would be the the Knight of Wands, the Queen of Cups, the Prince of Swords, and the Princess of Discs. Exactly. Exactly. So so what is this quintessence of fire that we're talking about? What are the essential qualities of fire that seem to go with this guy? Activity, uh, impulse, passion, creativity, uh, the will force. Fire and will have a correspondence. And so since he is fire of fire, he is pure will, uninfluenced will. The, the drive and determination to do something. Right. But not Whereas necessarily the, queen, the persistence. The queen, <laughs> the queen of wands would be will influenced by the emotions. The prince of wands might be will influenced by the intellect. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the princess of wands, you know, will in its active expression. Mm-hmm. But right. here, we are, here we are in the night and he's just pure will. He's, uh, and he, yeah. And if you even look at him, he looks in all three versions that we're looking at in, uh, Tabula Mundi and in Rider Wade Smith and in Thoth. He looks like he's about to get out of his seat. I mean, he's just like on the move. He, you can't keep him still. Yeah. I think of this card as out of the starting gate, you know, the first <laughs> out of the starting gate. And in a sense, he is the first out of the starting gate. You know, he's the first of the courts. He's, um, you know, how we, we talked about in the introduction about how the knights in general or kings, kings and knights are Hakma. But I think of the knight of wands as being Keter and Hak. He's the yod, but he's the tip of the yod that starts in Keter. He's the beginning of it all, you know, and it all unfolds from there. Mm-hmm. He's tapping into the fuel of the divine fire. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense because if you look in, um, at least in the Thoth tradition and in, and in the book T descriptions, he's always described as carrying a club like the Ace of Wands. Yes. And like the Ace of Wands, all the minor cards are said to issue out from the Ace of Wands. I consider almost the whole series of the courts to issue from the Knight of Wands. Right, right. So it's almost unfolding out from... Yeah. From the first. He's uh, like the initiate, the initiator of the whole sequence. Right. And if we're talking about the tree of life, then he is Chokmah in Atsilut. And Atsilut is the archetypal world, uh, the world where, uh, things are conceived. Um, yes. But not yet taken form. So he is that, that first flash of insight. As Lord of the Flame and Lightning, he's the lightning flash, that first yes. spark. Yes, I I was reading somewhere, I can't even remember at this point, we were both up late last night, like hitting the books, and I don't even remember where I saw this, but the idea that he is the flash of insight or the fuel, whereas Bina is the engine 
uh, the Queen of Wands would be the engine, and you can't have one working without the other. Yeah, he's like the commencement of the whole will force. I think of the entire wand suit as corresponding to both creativity and the will, the will force mm-hmm. that creativity needs, um, that drives it, and he's the start of, of that process. Okay, um, shall we talk about the astrology a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So here we are in the uh, sign of Sagittarius, but specifically the last decan of Scorpio yep. and the first two decans of Sagittarius. Right. So there, there, there's a lot that's really interesting about that. So primarily when I think of the Knight of Wands, I think of Sagittarius, mm-hmm. even though he does pick up that decan of Scorpio. And when I think of Sagittarius, I think of the motto of Sagittarius, I aim. And he's definitely, mm-hmm. you can just see, he's, he's aiming to do something right out, mm-hmm. right out, right out of the gate. Yeah. The point is the direction, not, uh, not what it's going to take to get there or packing yourself, you know, trail mix and granola bars so you can get there. The whole idea is to aim towards it. And yeah. the other thing that's interesting to think about with the court cards, so if we consider that he has two, the first two decans of the sign of Sagittarius, what is the decan he doesn't have? So that's the right. part of Sagittarius that's not in his nature. And that is the Lord of Oppression, the Ten right. of Wands. As a result, even though he's forceful, it's without tyranny. It's without oppression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the other, so the actual minors that he's associated with, he lacks oppression, but he has debauch, swiftness, and strength. Otherwise known, debauch is also called illusionary success. And, yeah, uh, that's the yeah. seven of cups, the mm-hmm. last decan of Scorpio, and then the two, uh, decans of Sagittarius, he has swiftness and strength, eight and nine of wands. Right. So there's almost, I think, um, you know, a, a visionary quality. To the Seven of Cups, you know. Uh, yeah, and that's really interesting yeah. because I think of the sign of Sagittarius as being very visionary in that they're always looking ahead. They're always looking forward. As a matter of fact, of all the signs of the Zodiac, there are three that I consider to be forward-looking but in different ways. And Sagittarius is the visionary, always looking a step ahead. Aries is more of the the pioneer Looking mm-hmm. ahead, and Aquarius is more of the intellectual looking ahead. Yes, the, the broad the, the, perspective. Yeah. Right. I think that there is something of the optimism of Jupiter about this card. The idea of that- expansion, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the ruler Going of Sagittarius. Outward. Exactly. You take something that is uh, falling apart and degraded in the Seven of Cups, and you figure out what you're going to do to move from that. It's also interesting to think about what you do in your in your court cards, the idea that the previous decan is like a shadow, a, a negative shadow of the qualities of the suit. Yeah, that's um something that's in Book T and Liber Theta, this idea that the the shadow decan is kind of where they retreat to in times of stress or an aspect of their nature that's a little bit hidden. Not their best expression and not how you would normally think of them as it's a little bit hidden in the the shadows and it comes out at times. Mm -hmm. And so that's also reflected kind of more, um, perhaps more clearly, if you think about the transition from the associated majors, death, to art, because that is the transition from Scorpio to Sagittarius. Yeah, that's a really interesting part of the Zodiac, too. It is. Which, yeah, if you think about one of the things, another interesting thing as we go through the court cards that I hope we have time to look at a little bit is the the star group, that part of the Zodiac. So the star group for the Knight of Wands, uh, I've written it down here, (laughs) and it says... I can't read my own handwriting. So the star group is the top of the head and the body of Sagittarius, the head and the right arm of Ophiuchus, and the rear of the serpent, as well as Hercules, who kneels on the head of Draco. Wow. And so it's always interesting to look at these star groups and star mythologies and star lore and try to think of it in terms of the the nature of the court. For mm-hmm. example, when you think of, you know, Hercules, the son of Zeus, mm-hmm. I mean, it seems particularly appropriate. He carries a club. Yes. Just like 
this this dude carries a club and uh, the, as the club of the Ace of Wands and his 12 labors that he was assigned. Yeah, so as we go through these, maybe we can um, pick out some of these star myths. Yeah. For now, we'll just mention that. That's yeah, really and nice. the, the right, the hand and right arm of uh, Ophiuchus, that's interesting too, just because, you know, in his right hand, he's carrying that club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this part of the Zodiac, too, also uh, contains, you know, that you hear these stories about the 13th constellation, you know, yes. all that. Oh, yes. That's that's right. here in this part of the Zodiac. Right. Just looking, I just want to have a look at the Ace of Wands for a second. I seem to remember that we talked about this at the very beginning when we, uh, in the episode for the Ace of Wands, that it is grasped in the right hand. Uh, so that the palm, yeah, so that the palm is facing you. So there's a, so if you look at the Ace of Wands and the King of Wands and Writers, Wade Smith, it's the same gesture, same hand, yep. same position with the right hand sort of facing you. There's an openness as opposed to the back of the hand from the King of Swords. And then it ties into that uh, right arm and shoulder that you were mentioning. Let's see, the time of year, November, like 10th, 11th, 12th to December, mid-December. Um, yeah, December 10th, roughly. Yeah, yeah, December 10th. So, so that's... The waning of the light includes your natal decan. <laughs> yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah. That's a uh, debauch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I love the, uh, yeah. Particular- or maybe it's swiftness, but it's, it's that feeling right after, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think the swiftness and strength, uh, you know, are, are, are so critical to, any concept of Sagittarius and the flight yeah, of the Yeah, when you think of this card, you primarily will think of the um, obvious swiftness as he's right out of that gate and uh, this his, his strength, which is his flexibility and his mutability. You can't forget that when he uh, doesn't channel his strengths wisely, it can uh, degrade into <laughs> debauchery. Yeah, that's something that um, that Crowley says about Knight King of Wands is that he he doesn't have a lot of staying power. Right. Um, you know, he says he is in either case, I mean, whether he's positive or negative in his approach, he is in either case ill-fitted to carry on his action. He has no means of modifying it according to circumstance. If he fails in his first effort, he has no resource. Yeah, I consider this the crash and burn card. <laughs> you know, you, you have to you have to succeed at the first effort. You have one shot. Right. Or you right. crash and burn. And we talked about that when we were talking about the, uh, the eight of wands too, the, il- the elusive fleeting nature of that card. You have to capture the lightning in a jar or yeah. else it's gone. Yep. Yeah. Interestingly, I think, uh, uh, Crowley also associated this card with hexagram 51, uh, of the I Ching, yes. which, uh, the thunderclap. Which makes sense for the Lord of the Flame and the Lightning. Right. And the way that the he, arousing is another yes, term for it. Yes. But the way that that these hexagrams are, are constructed is also fourfold system. Each hexagram is composed of Three lines and three lines. And what they did was they took the, uh, the three line trigram that's called thunder, basically, and they repeated that. So it's sort of like fire of fire. Right. Thunder not, of thunder. Yeah. Fire thunder of, of thunder. So it's exactly, you know, it's a shock. It's a thunderclap. It's a sudden movement. Uh-huh. Yeah. Just like he said to be, um, unpredictable action. Just mm-hmm. like lightning is very unpredictable. You yes. don't quite know when it's going to strike. That's right. And, and it's decisive too. There's like, um, I don't know. There's something like the, it feels to me like the moment of Kairos, you know, when the exact moment that it has to happen, when the conditions are correct and then this thing, explosive thing comes together. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause he's also, um, described as a person who's, who creates his own destiny. All right. So shall we look at each each one of these sort of uh, yeah, okay. one by one? Okay, Let's so, do it. Uh, Rider Wade Smith. What I find really, um, I wonder if it's deliberately confusing the issue is that he has both salamanders and lions. Ah, I know something about that. 
Uh, I just learned it like in the last 12 hours or so. Uh, <laughs> this is the nature of cramming for these things, guys. You have no idea what we put into them. Anyway, so the lion, I at first thought this is just because, you know, it's all in the family, Aries, Leo, Sagittarius. You get a lion because, you know, you get a little bit of everything in the fire signs. But there is a tradition of associating the king or knight of wands with the lion. Uh, if you look at the Solabusca deck, he's sitting on a lion throne. So there's sort of a through line. And also, he is historically associated with the figure of Julius Caesar, the, the, the archetype of rulership and empire. So that's, I think, part of what has to do with that lion figure. Lots of salamanders, though, all yes. over his cloak. And he's got that little guy, his pet there. That's right. That's right. And we will see salamanders elsewhere in the other court cards, Wands courts as well. And it's interesting because, uh, you know, in, in Rider Waite, we associate the lion specifically with the king of wands, but the cat <laughs> with the queen of wands. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> something that's really interesting um, that I like to meditate on for all the court cards. The book T descriptions all describe their court crest. And Rider Waite Smith does not incorporate that into the King of Wands, but the uh, Thoth deck does. And that's the crest of the um, Knight of Wands is a winged horse's head. And you can see if you look at the Thoth's helmet, there is a tiny winged horse's head on, on the top of his helmet. No kidding. Check it out. Look oh, up yeah. close. See that? A black. It's a black. Yeah. Horse's head with wings. Yeah, sort of a Pegasus. So if you, yeah. if you look at, it's really interesting to look at all these court crests because all of the wands courts have winged heads. So the other three wands courts all have winged heads of felines, but this one has a winged horse's head. And if you look at the, the families of each one and what they have for their crest, they're all related to each other and whether they're winged or not and whether they're winged heads or just birds are two different things, right? Hmm. And they have different meanings. Yeah. So I think it's interesting that a winged horse's head is chosen for the Knight of Wands. First of all, you can think of the association with the horse with Sagittarius, the centaur. But more than that, all of the knights are horsed. And mm -hmm. he's the first of the knights, the, you know, the, the knight of knights, the fire the of horse fire, of horses. <laughs> the fire of fire, the king of kings. And so it's particularly apt that his crest is this horse's head. And when you think of what does a horse symbolize, it symbolizes swiftness and travel and Sagittarian and themes <laughs> and strength and life force and virility and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So if you go, as we go through these and look at these court crests and their meanings, I find it really interesting. And the fact that these heads are winged, I'm trying to parse out um, why some heads are winged and some are not. It makes me wonder if it's a active passive thing like is there the, any the, pattern to which are and which aren't that all you can of tell? the all of the wands courts have winged heads and the disc courts have winged heads whereas the cups are all birds which have wings but are not winged if mm -hmm. that makes sense mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. the um the swords courts are interesting because one is just a, a, a winged star, six-pointed star, the knight, and the others are like human heads, which makes me think of the angel, you know, yes. that they're all like yes. a, a winged carob head, um, mm -hmm. a child's head, mm -hmm. and then a Medusa head yeah. for the princess. So Interesting. So it is really interesting just to reflect on the crest and what they were trying to say. Mm -hmm. And also this idea of the horse, especially with this card, you know, the, it is defined by its speed and its ability and its to strength. bear loads. Right. And if it breaks its leg, you know, that's it. Right. You know, the, you don't get a second chance, just like Waits, uh, just like Crowley saying, if he fails in his first effort, he has no resource. Force swiftly expended. So let's see what else is in the Thoth card that we should look at. Well, 
We see the black horse. That's a tradition. Yep. That's part of the book tea description. It's always mm-hmm. a black horse, which makes me wonder why a black horse. Yeah. It's issuing. Is it because he's the, the first one in a way like issuing from Keter, you know, mm-hmm. the, the spark of light that comes out of the darkness kind of thing. You well, know? it's mm-hmm. interesting because we also have a black horse in the Night of Discs, and it's almost like there's a relationship between those two. There right? is a relationship in the courts between the um, wands and the discs in those crests as well, because the both the wands crests and the disc crests are winged animal heads. So here in the wands, we have the horse and the felines, and then in the uh, discs, they're all a stag, uh, you know, more earthy mm-hmm. animals. Yeah, and also, um, if you think about the knight or king of discs and thoth, you know, the, the, the horse is standing, you know, stable, looking off, I think, to the right. And here we have the same, you can think of it as the same horse, but now oh, rampant, you know. That's that's something that's interesting is the direction. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you look at Rider Waite and Thoth both, mm-hmm. they are both facing to the left. Now, in my deck, he's facing to the right, and there's a reason for that. <laughs> no accident, uh, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, um, I consciously chose to put him in that direction the, I think that the reason that he's facing to the left in Rider Waite and in Thoth is because it's trying to say something about that cycle of creation in the divine name, the yod He vav He, and Hebrew is written right to left. Yes, correct. So it's still looking forward, but it's from that perspective of, of Hebrew of right writing to right to yeah. left. Mm-hmm. Now, I consciously made him facing right just because I think in our you know, Western modern world, we think of right as forward future facing. And I wanted to emphasize that feeling of forward and future facing, that visionary forward looking quality of Sagittarius. That's so right. well, I'm well aware that the div- order of the divine name would have it be the other way. I was trying to emphasize that feeling mm-hmm. of going springing out of a gate and going forward rather than looking back. I like that a lot. I mean, we definitely do generally think of the right as forward in the Western world. I never really thought about why the king of Wands and Rider Waite and the Knight of Wands and Thoth are looking to the left, but I like that explanation. I think it's that order of the divine name written in Hebrew letters. Yeah, Yeah, I like that a lot. And I want to also just want to mention with left and right uh, and the chord card specifically, I just to talk about reversals for a second. You know, a lot of people don't use reversals. I happen to, but one of the reasons I do it is because it allows you when you have a court card to see which way that court is looking and it gives you uh, a divinatory chance to see where the gaze is going, what other card it's looking at, what thing it's looking at. You can even add another card if it's looking off into space to see what you know, right, and it's, it's important at, with yeah. opening of the key if you perform that, you know, which direction court is facing or sometimes it's ambiguous what they're facing. So you can look at which direction their horse is looking <laughs> or facing or which if they're right. holding a, a suit element, if which way it's pointing. They might be looking one way and pointing mm-hmm. the other way. Mm-hmm. And that's significant because they're like people and yes. people look at things. <laughs> okay, so let's look a little bit more closely at yours, which has more detail than either of the others. So we talked already about the um the court crest and, mm-hmm. and every every one I tried to as closely as possible follow the book T descriptions. Um maybe we can read the book T description because when I did the court cards, I tried to follow to the best of my ability the description of the card. It's not always easy to do artistically because they get quite detailed and specific. And abstract and surreal. But I did, (laughs) you will see that I really made the effort. Yeah. So it says, a winged warrior riding upon a black horse with flaming mane and tail. The horse itself is not winged. The rider wears a winged helmet like the old Scandinavian and Gaulish helmet with a rayed crown, a corslet of scale mail and buskins of the same, and a flowing scarlet mantle. Above his helmet, upon his 
cuirass, and on the shoulder pieces and buskins, he wears as a crest a winged black horse's head. He grasps a club with flaming ends, somewhat similar to that in the symbol of the Ace of Wands, but not so heavy. <laughs> and also, the sigil of his scale, Yod, is shown. Beneath the rushing feet of his steed are waving flames and fire. So, I did incorporate the horse's head crest. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's wearing the Scandinavian winged helmet. He himself, <laughs> I did not draw wings on, although in my Rosetta deck, I did make him winged. Uh, he's got the Ace of Wands club and the waving flames. That's an important thing because in the Thoth deck and in my court cards, I did try to follow those descriptions. So the waving flames show his, you know, active, the active part of fire, the fiery part of fire. The flames are moving and rushing. Whereas when we get to the queen, you'll see the, the flames are described as steady and, and not waving. So, yeah. um, and it makes a difference. Uh, their energy, one is, much more placid. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we've got that. You see, he does have the yod on his quiver of arrows. He does. There? So mm-hmm. he's got the, the sigil of his scale there. And his horse has yodes on his, um, yep. yes, very gear good as yes. well. Yep. On yeah. his gear. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you call that stuff. I'm and not he's a got horse the, person. He's got the red, the, the scarlet cape that he should have and all that. In every court card, I also tried to incorporate Something symbolic of the three Deccan cards that the court card is associated with. So if you see in on the knights, usually it's on their shield. So he's got a shield strapped to his horse there, and it has the winged sandal from the Eight of Wands swiftness. It has the arrow and eclipse from the Nine of Wands strength, and it's got the cup with the bubble with a serpent in it from the um, illusions of the Seven of Cups debauch. And it's got the yod there in the middle, another yod. In this way, when you look at the court cards in my deck, you can call to mind the three decans, even if you don't have them memorized, because it's just a little uh, memory trigger there for you to be able to reflect on what those three decans are. Because, you know, a lot of people... When they draw a court card, like you said, they have a really hard time. Well, what do I do with this? My yeah. question, it, I don't think this is a per, there's, my question wasn't about a person. That doesn't make sense. And they, you know, they should back up and think about that whole word sentence paragraph thing. Mm-hmm. So the court cards are really complex and maybe it's not just a simple answer, you know? Right. Go right. into the story of the three decans and, and even the majors and expand and unpack everything that's in that court card to get your answer and write yourself a paragraph. Right. That's what we use correspondences for generally is to just expand out the possibilities of each card and help us interpretationally. I think it's also interesting um, that you have portrayed him against a backdrop of the pyramids. The pyramids kind of show something from a little hint of the Scorpio, uh, the death card in my mm-hmm. deck has the pyramids and you'll see there they are echoed in it. But it's also a little, um, personal wink because this is my court card. If you look at where oh, the yeah. decan mm-hmm. of my sun, um, sign falls. So the pyramids in the Sphinx in my own astrology chart the degree, the Sabian symbol for the degree of my son, that's the, that's the meaning of it. It says the, the pyramids and the Sphinx rise in all their glory upon the sands <laughs> of time or something like that's that. That's great. And so I, um, just like Crowley marked his own, his own court card with his mark of the beast there, I put my own little secret mark in the form of the pyramids and the Sphinx, but they do double duty because they also have meaning with the associated majors and. Yes. And not only that. In the Knight of Wands, who is what you would call a prince and writer, wait, we also have pyramids. So, you know, we have the same horse figures, same pyramids. And yep. I think in general, with so the Knight's family, they there, fit. There's many layers of why they fit. And also yeah. the Sphinx, if you think about the four powers of the Sphinx and the fact that the Knight of Wands, as fire of fire, he's will of will. He's beginning that whole sequence of the four powers, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. the power. I will, I dare, I know. Yes, yes, I keep silent. Yes. So it's it's also a nod to that. So there's many uh, reasons why those are there. Now, I know in Rider-Waite-Smith, we continue having this sort of uh, arid 
fiery landscape throughout the suit. Did you do the same thing with your courts? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, there's mm -hmm. definitely a fiery landscape <laughs> happening. <laughs> oh, and we should also mention that color in the court cards is not as sort of meticulously mapped out as it is in the yeah, minors. Yeah, they're, they're more just elemental colors. Mm -hmm. So all of the fire cards are fiery colors. All right. of the uh, water cards are watery colors, etc. Right. And we specifically see red as a code for fire, both in your deck and in Thoth, uh, whereas yellow can kind of, it goes with fire to some extent, yeah. but it also goes with air. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Air, I think of as yellow and blue, whereas fire, yellow and red. Yeah. And I love the way it also ties in very specifically with that concept of thunder. Yeah, mm -hmm. the Lord of the Flame and the Lightning. Mm -hmm. Okay, so how about practical applications? When you get this guy, what happens? Well, it makes me often think of an opportunity because he's such a card of a new beginning and a swift one, like a swiftly arising opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I also personally take it as a good omen when I see this card because it's, you know, my court card, which when your cards come up, they, they're they a little more personal to mm -hmm. you, you know, and mm -hmm. you have an affinity for them. So there's that. Um, I think of this card as being pure will, the true will, and thus associated with the Holy Guardian Angel. I always will bring in the associated minors, mm -hmm. you know, so it, it, it all depends on what paragraph you want to write. Right. You know, it's interesting with this, this particular court card. I remember I was trying to teach my daughter about uh, the court cards when she was littler than she is now. She was much more into tarot when she was like eight or nine than she is now when she's 11. <laughs> but, but like anybody else, she didn't really know court cards. So I laid them all out and I would say things like, okay, which of these people would you like to have tuck you in bed at night and tell you a story? You know, which of these people would you, would you argue with? Which, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I, one of the questions I asked her was, if you were lost in the woods and you needed someone to get you out, who would you want? to do that. And it was this card. Nice. You know, I could see uh, that. Yeah, because that sort of instinct to have a direction and to follow it and to make your way out of confusion. Yeah, seize the moment, seize the opportunity before it passes away too. Another thing. There's something see. about that transient nature and and you know, it can also mean crash and burn. Let go, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, one of the funny things I I get this card for is uh, I tend to make impetuous decisions yeah. when I get this. And, yeah. you know, they don't tend to be necessarily well, this bad is my court. decisions. I, I tend to do that sometimes <laughs> as well. And the other thing is I tend to re get really into a project and just expend all my energy to the point of exhaustion. That's like every day for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the purchases I've made, I one day I bought like, you know, I have this book, Tarot Correspondence is coming out from Llewellyn in October. And when I got my first half of the advance, I spend it all on Llewellyn books. <laughs> That's hilarious. You just gave it back to them. I just them. gave it back to them. Um, let's see. Another day I subscribed to a RuneSoup membership because I felt that I needed it. And then, but my favorite one was one day I got this and I got myself an electric blanket. That's <laughs> because, funny. Isn't it? Because it was just like, I am friggin' sick of being cold. <laughs> yeah, he's hot and it's he's electric. <laughs> it's electric. Flame and the lightning. Yeah. Another really funny one was that one day I got this card and my friend was having like a smoking barbecue fest in his backyard. <laughs> I thought funny. that was pretty appropriate too. <laughs> I think it's cool that you mentioned the impulse buys because I, you know, I consider the wands creativity and I have this habit of doing impulse buys when it comes to art supplies. Uh, and just rushing out, getting inspired, getting this great idea for some type of art and having to buy these supplies for it. And then oh, there goes the energy, poof, and I'm off to something else, you know, <laughs> looking ahead to the next project before I even finished All that right. one, you it's know. Like, click to buy and then it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> it's gone. I've often gotten this. Uh, the only other thing I have in terms of practical application is that, you know, with Rider Waite Smith in particular, we sometimes see the king as at the end of a cycle rather than the beginning. Uh, just because, you know, Rider Waite Smith kind of views the course as a linear progression from young to old. And that way, you know, it ends up going from page to king. So I end up having the king of wands at the end of a term. 
or at the end well, of a vacation or end of something like that. Malkus is in Keter after yes, all. Yes, yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. And is, is inherent in the beginning. That's right. Yeah, yeah. One thing that we should talk a little bit about in the court sequence is the uh, geomantic symbols because oh, there's 16 yeah. court cards and 16 of yeah. those and there are different ways of assigning them. But if you go with the Golden Dawn uh, method for assigning them, the, the the Knight of Wands is associated with uh, Acquisitio. Acquisitio, yes. Hey, all right, with the online purchasing that we... Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, so gain, um, it's considered generally good and good for gain. It's fire of fire, and when you look at the geomantic form, you'd think, well, it's it's two triangles, two dot, one dot, two dot, one dot, but you build those from the bottom up. So it's if you think of it that way, it's yeah. fire, two fire symbols, fire yeah. of fire. Yeah. They don't all work that way, so you can't <laughs> read too much into that. There's another method where you do build them that way. The Golden Dawn assigned them through planetary correspondences, I think, Kind of based on what's in Agrippa. So it wasn't fire of fire. So, so, uh, uh, Acquisitio mm -hmm. is associated with Jupiter, which is why it's assigned to, uh, this card. But then, but you only have seven planets, but. Yeah, so some of them, some of them are double. Oh, um, so yeah, just like yeah, they are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yep. Gotcha. Neat. We'll have to look at those for the others as well. That's, that's a good idea. I'll add it to the list. Yeah. Okay. So, um, all right. I guess we should wrap it up. We have, uh, we have talked about a lot of different themes associated with this very complex card and with the system of courts in general. Um, in terms of the King of Wands or Knight of Wands, uh, we talked about his impetuosity, his swiftness and strength. Yeah, his force expended. His impatience. The pure will or the true will. His lack of oppression, his lack of tyranny, his sort of fundamental positivity. Yeah, he yeah, he carries out his will, but without that oppressiveness that we might come to see in the next card. Right. The uh, the thunderclap or the decisive moment. Oh, the constellations, which were they? Well, there's Hercules kneeling on the head of the serpent. There's the rear of the serpent. There's the head and right arm of Ophiuchus. And then there's the uh, top of head and the bow of Sagittarius. Right. We talked about salamanders and lions. And horses. <laughs> oh, my. And the Sphinx. And the Sphinx as well. Right. And the transition from Scorpio to Sagittarius, from death to temperance or art. Neat. Okay. So um hope this has helped you get a grip on the very fleeting, elusive, strong, determined, swift, and fast-moving knight or king of wands. Uh, oh, and I also want to say... um Welcome to all of our new listeners and members. We've gotten quite a few this week, and uh, and we hope that you will stick with us as we continue to move through the deck, and we'll be back next week with the Queen of Wands.